Hi, I'm Matt Kierkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News, and thanks to your malt mates at Cryer Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. Beer is a Conversation is our weekly sit-down with some of the people who make the beer industry the interesting and dynamic industry it is, and we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. This week, we meet Richard Jeffers from Two Bays Brewing in Victoria. Imagine being a beer lover and the brother of the owner of one of the best beer pubs in the country, and then finding out you can't drink beer. That was a predicament that Richard found himself in. But as they say, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Or go out and find some ancient grains and make beer that you can drink, and that others want to as well, even if they can drink beer with gluten in it. This is a great chat about how a life circumstance can create new challenges and interesting opportunities. Enjoy. Richard Jeffers, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's, it, I have to say, it is nice to have another Jeffers on uh, on the podcast. Steve's been a, a regular and frequent guest, um, both for his insights and his longevity in the industry. But uh, yeah, it, it's nice to have a chat to you. It's, it's long overdue. Well, I was, I'm the uh, the older brother, but uh, certainly the much newer one in this industry. And um, <laughs> Uh, you know, definitely trying to um, learn a lot from uh, what he and Guy and Justin have done, and, and um, they're very good uh, at sharing and helping us get going as well. Well, we might look a little bit about that because, you know, I, I do rate the team behind the Tap House and Stomping Ground and Gabs, um, you know, as some of the smarter guys in in the room when it comes to, to, to beer. And so we will come back to what you've learned from them. But let, let's talk a little bit about, let's step out of their shadow um, for the moment and talk a little bit about you. How did you get into craft beer and more particularly into gluten-free beer? I guess, um, you know, my story, craft beer, the love came through when Steve opened um, the tap house and just started to experiment. He'd come home with all sorts of different beers or bring them down to family gatherings. And, um, and I think at the time, Mornington Brewery opened not far from us and, um so we could go down there on Friday night. But to me, that you know, the, the real interest with craft beer is just the exciting flavours and what people are doing and the atmosphere at a tap room. And, um, you know, that was uh, our holidays. If we went to outback towns or anywhere, the first thing we would do would be find the local brewery and see what beers they were brewing and the kids would be dragged along. And that was uh, everything we loved doing. And then uh, I was, got to say, cruelly diagnosed as a celiac four years ago. And uh, the fun went right out of it very, very quickly. So <laughs> Let's just talk a little bit about that, because if, if you've grown up drinking beer, how did you come to be diagnosed by celiac, uh, as a celiac? And, and what does it mean for you? Because there's so much talk about gluten-free um, diets and there's a lifestyle element, but it is actually a diagnosable condition. Yeah, so celiac disease is an autoimmune disease. Uh, it impacts 1% to 2% of the population. And it can impact people in, in a various ways. So I was um, I, asymptomatic. I had no issues at all. The only reason I found out was I used to give blood regularly and the blood bank said, you're low on a certain protein, go find out why. And that led to a year worth of tests and things. And ultimately, uh, you have a gastroscopy and they could find the, the damage that was being caused um, by um, the celiac disease. Um, and celiac basically damages some um, villi at the top of your intestine, and so you don't absorb nutrients. Um, but some people with celiac disease can have a tiny, tiny bit, and when I say 
a bit. It's literally a crumb or the the ball and a ballpoint pen, and they can curl up in a corner for two days, um, you know, and be very very sick. So it impacts us differently. Um, so for me. I didn't feel sick beforehand. I didn't feel any better by giving up beer and bread. I just felt like I was missing out. But that's the thing. You had been drinking beer before that, and you hadn't been curling up in the corner. So did you know, you know, were you conscious of any ill effects from drinking beer? No, none. And, and that was, that's, the, that's the really sad part for me. It was because I had no symptoms. You know, I mean, I was low in, in, when we did the blood tests, I was low in um, uh, certain uh, nutrients. Um, so it was doing damage to me, but it was silent. And that's that's often the case with uh, lots of people with celiac disease is that uh, it can be doing damage or, you know, people will be getting bloated or whatever and they won't bother getting checked out. Um, and so it does have a fairly high undiagnosed rate. Um, but, you know, for other people, it's very obvious and they stop gluten and they feel, you know, immediately better. But uh, it can be, and celiac disease is a very serious disease, and you know, it can lead to, if you don't manage it properly, cancers and all sorts of other nasty things like that. So um, you know, it's not just something that uh, glutards avoid. So when you were diagnosed, what you obviously had to give up bread and beer. Um, was it an immediate decision, gee, I really want beer, I'll have to start my own brewery? No, I, 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 I will say that... Um, uh, the first thing I did was go, well, I didn't actually know what celiac disease meant, to be honest. So I'm sitting in the chair. I phoned my wife and said, my life's over. I can't have beer anymore once I'd realized what it meant. I went straight to our local uh, IGA in Mount Martha, and they had uh, O'Brien's beer. So I grabbed a six-pack of each of those. I then got on the website to O'Brien's, phoned them up and said, can you send me a six-pack of everything that you make? <laughs> um, and then basically did the same. There's a, there was a guy in uh, Billabong in Perth. Um, and, and tried all of them and, um, you know, was very grateful that people were making gluten-free beer. I just, to be honest, didn't find it uh, as exciting as the uh, craft beers I'd had the week before. So got into the ciders um, and, you know, it was, re- it was sort of the early days of Willie Smith and what they were doing and some of the other cider makers. And that was kind of interesting, but ciders, not beer. And yes. uh, so... It was probably a couple of years worth of all that and um, then just thought, well, let's see if there's um, a way of making good craft gluten-free beer and um, uh, that started the journey. So that was uh, very late in 20 or very early 2017. So we'll come back to that. But before that, what was your career, you know, what was your background in, in, in uh, prior to becoming a brewer? Or a brewery so, owner? Um, yeah, a brewery owner, definitely not a brewer. Um, <laughs> so very eclectic, as somebody uh, said. So I, I basically ran a number of different businesses, but environmental consultancies, cleaning up contaminated sites uh, around Melbourne and Australia. Um, I ran project management businesses. I worked with private equity guys on turning around companies. Um, for four or five years, we owned a couple of Captain Snooze franchises in bulky good retail, so, you know, tried lots of different things. Um, and for me, business was always an interesting thing. And, um, you know, spent probably many years searching for what seemed like a very good idea. And, um, you know, they're, they're hard to come across. Um, but I really feel very much at home owning a brewery. And, um, you know, if I, if I didn't have celiac disease, I wouldn't be owning a brewery because I think there's enough craft brewers out there now. So, um, you know, it's given us something that's that's fantastic. And... Um, 
you know, but, but otherwise it was just the, the business side of things. I just ran lots of different businesses. Is that what gave you the confidence to open your own brewery? Because I think a lot of people who you know, have grown up um, home brewing, they love the process, they love the, the the passion, and they think that I can make a job doing something that I love. But it's it, it is a huge challenge, and uh, particularly if you're going to build a brewery that is a little bit out of the norm, as a gluten free brewery is. So what gave you the, the, the confidence to jump boots and all into brewing the beer that you want to drink? I, I, the, the key for me was just doing the research on the gluten-free community and how big it, it is. So, you know, CSIRO data says that there's something like uh, 8 to 12% of the Australian population that choose, choose to be or have to be gluten-free. So, you know, you've got a big market. Um, so that side was, was good. Uh, I knew after my trip to the U.S., that um, you could make really good gluten-free craft beer. So that was a tick. Uh, I knew uh, we could get access to the best gluten-free malts in the world out of Colorado and California. And then I just needed a brewer. And thankfully, uh, Andrew Gow, AG from um, Mornington, became available, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure, um, and uh, was, was courageous enough to come on board and, and help make my dream a reality because you know if you don't brew beer and i don't brew beer um i just thought i had a good idea until somebody comes along and and can make the product for us so um you know you need all things to happen but i did a lot of work on the market and the potential and you know could it work was it a fad was it something that's real um all those things that um people probably do when they look at whether they can make a go of it or should do anyway it's a little bit more adventurous even than the old Victor Kayam from um, Remington Razors. I liked it so much I bought the company. You know, I, uh, I, I believed in it so much I started the company. Well, I think, um, you know, that you always, they say you should always do something you're, you're passionate about and you enjoy. And, and um, you know, I've done lots of things and selling beds wasn't as passion for me. But um, certainly the beer, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a great community, as you know, because you know many of the, the people in it. So it's a great community. Um, you're making people very happy, uh, and we find certainly within the gluten-free community, we're making people that you know haven't had a beer in 20 years. So you're getting great feedback. Um, but I just desperately wanted a beer. I wanted to be able to go to a brewery and have a paddle um, and see what was happening. And as much as I love going to all the craft breweries around Australia, you know, uh, you get sick and tired of having the cider tap because that's all that you can have. So. And- I'm a bit like you. I love Willie Smith, so I love a good cider, but it just doesn't have that extra. Uh, and I you know, particularly love some of the French ciders and uh, some of the classic ciders. It just doesn't have that extra thing that uh, that a good beer has. Yeah, and and um, you know, it's it's a social thing as well. You're going out to, uh, you know, as I say, I go to Mornington Brewery and I'm sitting there drinking cider out of the glass, and everyone's drinking beer, and you feel different, and you feel. Um, everyone's kind of watching you, um, but it's just a taste. I mean, you know, some of the stuff that's happening, and I look at some of the beers that are out there being brewed in the barley beer world, and I'm, you know, I'm just very envious. But at the same time, uh, you know, I looked at uh, Pirate Life's Mosaic IPA for years, going, God, I'd love to have one of those. Couldn't. Uh, so the first thing I asked AG was to brew us a Mosaic IPA over summer, um, so I could dry it. We had a gozer. So just things that. Um, just you know, there's so many exciting things you can do with beer, and uh, we're only just starting uh, to scratch the surface of it all. But you know that's what beer does. 
So you mentioned before about the high-quality malts that are coming out of uh, Colorado. Tell us about those because it, you can't just go and grab uh, barley or wheat because they contain gluten. So tell us about the malts that you use to brew from. Yeah, I think that the key thing with doing gluten-free is you need to be able to go a fair way back in the food chain to understand and make sure that you're getting a gluten-free product. So, um, you know, in Australia, we grow a whole lot of these grains uh, that we use. So we use predominantly millet, buckwheat and rice, um, but nobody malts them in Australia and they're not uh, grown in any way that you'd be comfortable that there's not cross-contamination with other grains through the harvest. So out of Colorado, uh, they come from, there's a farm that's dedicated gluten-free and they... um, provide the malt to the malting house that doesn't do anything else but gluten-free malts um, and the same in California. And they will do, I mean, I think we have 11 or 12 different millet malts. Uh, so anything French, Munich, light roasted, dark roasted, chocolates, Cara, uh, roasted goldfinch, Munichs. So so we have, uh, you know, the range of malts that uh, I believe you can get in the barley beer world. Uh, in rice, we've got really nice smoky ones, gas hog. We've got James Brown, sort of nice, roasted ones so so we're starting with with a great ingredient mix uh, and we know that they're coming from certified um gluten-free and that's the most important so in australia there aren't any malting houses um so gluten-free beer is predominantly made with sorghum extract in australia uh, which you can get, but you know, we I didn't like the taste of sorghum particularly and I felt that the best breweries in the pacific northwest uh, we're all using these ingredients. So um, we managed to get those products exclusively for Australia, New Zealand. And um, we offer those to the homebrew market. Um, so we have homebrewers buying malt off us so they can brew at home. And we also offer them to anybody else that would like to um, buy them. But they're expensive. So um, that's kind of one of the issues with gluten-free is everything's a... Um, you know, uh, not quite a cottage industry, but but uh, certainly very artisan. And so, um, you know, our malters are malting in batches of between one ton and uh, three tons at a time. So um, it's an expensive process. We'll talk about that because there are two related issues. Is that it's you you don't have the in an industry that is small scale to begin with. You don't even have the scale to get um, ingredients, and that's going to have a a, a price impact but we'll uh, we'll come back to that because we'll talk about the flavors and i often describe uh to, to people who want to understand why gluten-free beer has traditionally tasted different to, to mainstream beer you can't pick up a perry and expect it to taste like an apple cider because it's a different base fruit so you're going to have the flavors with that is that a fair description for the, the traditional gluten-free beers, that if you're not going to use barley and wheat uh, malts, the, the the beer is going to taste a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's one of the things that we try and celebrate is that it is different. So we we, we don't believe in the mantra that, you know, our beer tastes just like a barley beer. Um, we're trying to say, well, if you like a Shiraz and you like a Pinot Noir, they're both made from a grape, but they taste differently. They can both be great products. Um, but you've got to understand sort of what you're buying. And so, um, you know, I haven't had a barley beer in four and a bit years, so I'm sort of a bit out of touch with it. But um, we have a, our grains have much less protein um, than barley. So 
I describe them a little bit, and that's why I use that analogy, they're a little bit of the Pinot Noir of the beer world. They are a lighter mouthfeel, um, but um, they can still be quite a complex beer, and certainly we're getting fantastic feedback from venues and Cicerones and others that I you know, really respect their palate uh, with regard to the quality of them. So we know we're producing good beers. Yes, they are different and they taste different to barley, but I think you know, the way I look at it, there's probably 700 pale ales out there and they all taste different to each other. So um, we're just another pale ale. But I will say, again, I've, I've been lucky enough to try um, the, the Two Bays Pale and the Two Bays IPA and uh, both of them, you know, uh, uh, nicely balanced. You do get a malt character. You get a slightly different aftertaste um, and slightly lighter mouthfeel, which will, would actually appeal to a lot of people, I'd imagine, um, yep. over traditional beers. But you, you've still done a very good job, or AG has done a very good job, of bringing beers that, as you say, you know, are well within what you would expect a, a, a barley beer to taste. I, I think so too, and, and I mean, AG is very critical and, and hard on himself, but I think he's making fantastic beers, and the feedback from the gluten-free consumers is extremely positive. The feedback from the craft beer world has been great. Um, so, you know, I know we're, we're, we're making good stuff, and we'll keep um, tinkering and playing and learning what these grains can do. Um, you know, we've, we've just done a paleo with uh, lentils in it because they've got a much higher protein. Um, level than the buckwheat. So we're just seeing what that might do. We're looking at teff. I mean, there's so many great uh, grains that don't contain gluten. Um, so it gives us an opportunity to play around and see, you know, and we'll keep developing the beers over time as we learn. When we first wrote uh, about the brewery, just as the brewery was going in before you'd even brewed, um, we had phenomenal engagement and it was just another story that, that, that we do on, on the site. And, you know, uh, we actually had sort of a, a, a incredible engagement on that one story. So there was obviously a lot of interest, particularly from people tagging a friend um, about the brewery. How have you found the, the, the response yourself? Uh, very similar, Matt. What we what we realised through the social channels anyway is that everybody's got a friend that's gluten-free pretty much. And... Um, you know, they, they get tagged and whether it's, um, you know, the Bruise News or the mainstream uh, influencer type sites like Concrete Playground or, or Urban List, you know, the, 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 the response and the uh, engagement's been brilliant. Um, and, and that's the, the key thing for us is understanding sort of how do we get to all those people. We think there's sort of over 2 million people out there that are gluten-free or choose to be many of them have been scared away from beer for whatever reason and um you know we're trying to bring them back to beer and um get them to experience all the exciting things that beer can give them um and that and that's sort of our challenge at the moment but out out in in retail land um you know we've been overwhelmed with the support from the independents uh, and the craft beer community from both bottle shops and venues um Places where I thought we might get one skew in, being our pale ale, you know, are now selling. Um, and we just released the Hoppy Brown Ale as a seasonal release. So we're trying to do um, quarterly seasonal beers as well. Um, and many of those venues are carrying all three of those beers. We've got uh, venues now from Port Douglas to Hobart to Perth and everywhere in between. Um, and when we launch a beer, we launch it online to our um, own database and we've sent beers uh, everywhere from uh, Broken Hill to uh, Darwin 
to Perth to, you know, and everywhere in between and into New Zealand as well. So, you know, we're just finding that uh, there's a lot of excitement out there and there's just lots more people we need to um, let them know that we're around. So, so talk to me a little bit about that because you know, one of the challenges for any brewery is to build a brewery of a size that they can fill, first of all, and then, <laughs> assuming they do that, then scale. So how big was the brewery that you installed and how much have you had to expand since you opened? So we've got two setups here. We've got a 300-litre pilot system uh, that we, we got at the very start and that allowed us to uh, you know, develop our recipes and we threw out a shitload of beer on that journey. Um, and we use that really just to produce beers for our taproom. We've got a small taproom down here in Jumana with uh, nine gluten-free beers on tap um, and we do wood-fired obviously gluten-free wood-fired pizza oven <laughs> um so you know that that does and then we got a we went and bought a 2000 liter um brewery and um we haven't needed to expand it yet uh we're we're hoping and we're growing into it uh but we decided we would go um to scale because as i talked to different breweries and trying to decide what size to, to order Everybody said, make sure you sort of double what you think you're going to need. So um, the brew house will, will last us a long time, um, but, uh, you know, we'll add more fermenters as, as we uh, need to. But at the moment, we're okay. Um, but, you know, we're, we're still very early in our journey. We would like to thank Rallings Labels, Stickers and Packaging for sponsoring this edition of Beer is a Conversation. If you are looking for a more efficient way to package your small run, collaboration or special release beers, make sure you have your own conversation with the guys from Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. They specialise in supplying ready-to-fill, shrink-sleeved cans or bottles to the craft beer industry. They take care of everything for you and take the pain out of packaging your special brews. If you would prefer a label or sticker on your cans or bottles, Rallings can help with this as well. Just give Paul or Brad a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss how they can help you. If you can't stop to write down that number right now, it's in the show notes with a link to their website. Now, you've got the tap room, so I'd imagine you do a reasonable amount of volume, uh, particularly on weekends, out of your um, cellar door. Yeah, so so we opened uh, 7th of December and we're in a tourist part of Australia, so we got absolutely smashed over summer, so it was fantastic. But, um, you know, it drops off then over winter. Um, but the weekends are still reasonably solid. We just do Saturday afternoons, Sunday afternoons and Fridays evenings um, uh, over winter. And the afternoons, we still get people coming down. And, and a lot of our customers, we find that sort of 80% of our customers at the tap room are not gluten-free. Um, you either get the people that want to come and try a beers made with millet, buckwheat and rice. You get people that just want to try another brewery in the area. And then predominantly you've got one gluten-free person bringing along family or friends. Um, and, you know, that's the exciting thing is that the non-gluten-free people are, you know, the gluten-free people are absolutely delighted. Half of them are nearly in tears because uh, they're so excited to have a beer. <laughs> The, um, and it's, it's incredibly uplifting to be involved with that because, I mean, it really is that sort of uh, emotional uh, response from many of them. And then the uh, non-gluten-free people are happy to keep drinking and coming back. So, um, uh, but the tap, so the tap room, it will, we think ultimately, whilst it's an important part from an experience, and certainly for me it's important because it's where I can go and have a beer with my mates, um, 
But, you know, the, the big thing for us is trying to get our beer out to gluten-free people because they're gluten-free people are everywhere in society. It doesn't matter whether you're rich, poor, in the outback, in the cities. They don't uh, – it doesn't sort of differentiate. So that, that, That's an interesting marketing position to have because I guess your regular brewery, you know, is fighting for the same audience as – Everybody else, that is, people who can drink beer because they're not gluten intolerant or uh, a celiac. But if you're making beer that is flavoursome and interesting, you can pick those up. But then also that sort of one to two percent of the population, or you know, larger, who are actual celiacs or lifestyle um, gluten avoiders. Yeah, so so we we think we're we're making an. an uh... I guess the way I look at it is we probably have up to 10% of the population that will buy a four-pack of our beer by choice at a bottle shop um, or will go to a venue and drink a gluten-free beer rather than somebody else's beer at a venue. Um, And so that's a huge market on its own. We don't really expect um, to target those that can drink... um, you know, normal barley beer. Uh, however, you know, we've done a number of beer events um, associated with Good Beer Week and uh, we put a beer into Gabs. It was actually great. This was the first year in four years I've been able to drink beer at Gabs. Um, and, you know, we're trying to ensure that our beer, because our beer is a beer for everyone. You know, it doesn't discriminate. Um, you know, it's it, um, everybody can have one of our beers. Um, so that's kind of where we see it. We don't think... Um, too many people that can drink from the barley beer world will drink um, by many four packs of ours. But um, as long as they are happy to try it or come along with a friend um, or let, let their friends know that there is a beer that they can have with them at a social function, uh, that's really what we're trying to do. Yeah, talk to me about, uh, you, you mentioned the word uplifting before. I, I, there's a small Belgian brewery on the Gold Coast here and a lovely Belgian couple and they've come from having their own engineering firm and when you ask him about the thing that he loves most about his new job as a brewer as opposed to his previous job he says I used to make you know things that I was proud of and people would put them in cupboards and hide them away behind other things now I make things I'm very proud of and you get to see the joy on people's face as they as they savor it um when you when you and I guess a lot of brewers can relate to that, but when you have somebody who gets to drink beer having been told that they couldn't enjoy beer, that must add a whole extra dimension. Oh, it, it's it's incredible. We've actually just come off uh, two days in Sydney last weekend for the Gluten Free Expo up in Sydney. So 10,000 people turn up. Um, there's only us and O'Brien's from a beer perspective. And, um, you know, people will come up, they open the gates at 9 o'clock. There is a queue about... Uh, I don't, and I don't exaggerate, you know, nearly a kilometre long of people ready to get in at nine o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, we're serving our first beer by about three minutes past nine in the morning. And people, you know, will rush around and they just get so uh, excited to be able to have a beer. And, and these are people I sit there and go, well, beer's been available. You know, Brian's is probably the oldest gluten-free brewery if not in the world, but close to, you know, and, and so, but no, but they don't do the research because there's no um, people telling them about it really. And so for us, it's about letting people know it's there, the joy, the excitement, you know, you, you know, people will, I say, try our brown, you know, then they would never have tried a brown ale before um, or many of them haven't, um, you know, they go, that's disgusting or didn't like it or love it or it's the best beer you've ever made, you know, so it's, it's really interesting. You get the same, 
expressions um, and excitement that you can get in going to a barley brewery. But, um, you know, these are people that have never had really an IPA in many cases, or let alone a goza, like we did a lime and coriander goza at the taproom over summer, or a saison, or we've got a porter on tap down here at the moment. Um, you know, so the, these are the things that we're trying to bring to the gluten-free community. And um, I think we're doing that pretty well at the moment, but we're still still just starting. Okay. And now you, you did mention uh, AG, Andrew Gow, uh, formerly of Mornington Brewery. How did you lure him away uh, to, to your little brewery down on Mornington Peninsula? Uh, we'll start with I didn't lure him. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he and Mornington um, had, you know, had decided that... Um, it was time, you know, he decided it was time for something a bit different. Um, and the timing was just perfect for us um, as far as sort of getting the the business um, case off the ground and getting the brewery going. Um, and, you know, AG started a few hours a week and then we built up as we got the venue sorted and then we put the little brew house on the floor and then we could start brewing. And obviously you'd come in and do a brew and then keep an eye on it for a week or two. Um, and then we come in and do another brew once we decided whether we throw that one out or whatever might be happening. Um, so, but you know, AG comes with an enormous reputation in the industry. Um, and you know, I was, you know, just so we were just so lucky to get him because the grains are challenging. They're difficult. Uh, there was plenty of frustration, um, that we went through in the first sort of 12 months, um, and, you know, he managed to persevere and stick through the whole process. And, um, you know, he would only put out good quality beer. And I was very comfortable having loved uh, Mornington's beers, um, that we would get great beer once we worked out how these little suckers worked. And, um, uh, you know, it was just fortuitous because without AG, we could still be, you know, on a, on a piece of paper somewhere really just as a great idea, but with nobody to brew. So, um very lucky the timing you know the 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 beer gods aligned and um we uh we you know i'm absolutely uh, without him we'd have nothing so it's a fantastic it's fantastic for us and i think it's meant that we know that we're getting a great craft beer i think it's really useful that our brewer isn't gluten-free uh so he is able to drink barley beers he knows what we're trying to produce um he can taste the new beers coming out of the other breweries and, and um, you know, see how our beers are comparing to those. Not that we want them to be the same, but we just want to make sure that our quality is the same. Um, and, and yeah, that's it. But um, it was timing, the luck of the Irish, I think, Matt, to be honest. Would, you mentioned that with your little 300-litre uh, pilot plant that there was a bit of beer that went down the drain. How hard was it for AG to find his touch with these grains that he hadn't, uh, you know, hadn't trained in, hadn't developed in and w- was learning in you? The answer is very, I mean, you know, temp- temperatures, all sorts of things that are, that are new. And as you said, in, in the barley beer world, you can sort of Google something and there's usually information to be found while there aren't really very much on the gluten-free grains. Certainly uh, there is a bit more maybe around sorghum, but certainly nothing on millet and buckwheat particularly. So, you know, there was no reference books. We would phone, um, you know, contact many other brewers. Dave Edney's, you know, been fantastic. So Dave's also a celiac as well. So he has a vested interest. Um, 
but you know, AG bounced stuff off him. Um, Justin and Bintani and the guys at Bintani uh, have been great. We, we've searched high and low. We've we've got great relationships with the US um, gluten free beer community, um, so we're bouncing ideas off them. The, the um, monstrous um, anybody we think that could help us with any problem we came across. But we threw out truckloads of beer, um, and when we're doing it at sort of 200 litres at a time, um, I I didn't cry each time, <laughs> but I nearly did. <laughs> and so so what's next? Are, are there new grains that you can work with? Are there new um, techniques that you can bring in? Uh, is there anything that you're playing with at the moment? Yeah, so I, I think I said before, we've got a, uh, um, we're using uh, roasted lentils in um, one version of a pale ale, um, and we'll explore how that turns out. And really that's, you know, just helping um, to provide some more protein around head retention and head creation. Um, so the, the gluten-free beers can present um, not as nicely as we would like. And then I think we all know that beer is um, sight as well as uh, smell and taste. So, um, uh, you know, we're working on that side of it. Um, Teff has got even more protein than lentils, but they're tiny little things that are you know, smaller than poppy seeds. So how to manage them through the brew house and not end up with um, Teff floating around the bottom of a, of a beer glass. Um, <laughs> so we're doing that. Uh, chestnuts, uh, amaranth. I mean, the, the grains are uh, quinoa or quinoa. Um, you know, so there's so many things that we can do. It's really just, time you know we're trying to um try all these things see if they if we think they're going to improve our pale ale recipes or our ipa recipes without affecting flavor or hot profile um so i, th- I think it's going to be very exciting you know another uh, i'd say two to three years as we keep playing around with these things and just seeing um what works and that's the the exciting thing and that's before we get into fruit or anything like that so um you know, it's it's um it's going to be a really good fun period of time around the creativity with the the brewing process and and these grains. Now you you just reeled off a couple of you know the, the grains that are the darlings of the sort of food and ista world these days. Quinoa. Um, you refer to them in your you, you don't necessarily refer to them as gluten free grains. You refer to them as ancient grains in your uh, marketing. Yeah, we we do, and that and that's um, you know. Never confuse uh, was this, uh, never confuse marketing with reality or something. So we, we just like the ancient grains. I mean, um, uh, I remember, and I don't know whether it was you that broke the article, but I remember seeing an article from somebody uh, going back where they did a Chinese archaeological dig and they came across a, re- a 4,000-year-old recipe or something and some brewery in China was putting it together. And that recipe was millet and barley. Mm. Um and so we, we like that. I mean, some of the grains are, are considered part of the ancient grains and you know, you'll find all the breads out there with ancient grains and um, that side of it all. We thought it had a nice sort of ring to it. Um, but, you know, technically not all our grains are actually grains. But um, I, I should say, I, I wasn't having a, a dig. It's a nice, nice tagline. Yeah, no, and, and I wasn't having a dig. There's a, like, there's a vast difference between calling the grains ancient grains and... Um, you know, time is the fifth ingredient. <laughs> you know, so so yeah. I was actually thinking it's a very clever way of distinguishing your beers in a positive way as opposed to focusing on the, the negativity of, you know, the, the almost negative aspect um, of, 
these are gluten-free, we brew using ancient grains. It's a positive way of appealing to everybody um, without just sort of seem, seeming to target the people who can't drink something. But, you know, making yeah, it I a- mean, they're, they're, very, they're really interesting grains. I mean, you know, they, they really are. I mean, we, we, we call it ancient grains, modern beers, and, and that's really what we're, we are trying to do. But they are really interesting grains. They're difficult. They're, they're you know, hard to work with. They're challenging. Um, but they, um, we, we think you can make really good beers out of them. So, um, so we do see it is, uh, as a positive. We don't think um, gluten-free people deserve or need to compromise with their beers. And so we will keep trying to make the best beers we possibly can. Um, and if we think, you know, there's another grain that, add something, be it flavour or helps us with, with protein or whatever, then um, we'll, we'll put it into the mix and um, see how we can get it in commercial quantities rather than trying to roast lentils in our pizza oven down here. <laughs> <laughs> the, Luckily, the, we've got a coffee roaster down the street, so um, we'll, we'll suck up to him and see if we can bring some down through that. Uh, I look forward to trying it. Pete and I'll have to get down. <laughs> now, we will come back to Now, as I said, you do have a, a kinship with... Uh, somebody who is also um, a brewer, brewing entrepreneur. What did you learn from from the team at the Tap House and Stomping Ground, and, and what advice were you given there in, in in terms of getting started? I think the key, the key uh, you know, I sit back and and um, obviously Steve's family, but the three of them are such a fantastic combination, and each one of them uh, has helped me. So Guy, very much from a commercial perspective, sales perspective. Um, you know, with, with setting up the brew house, Steve's a brilliant person from a marketing and um, presentation and the flow, the tap room and those sort of things. And JJ, you know, if I ever want to work out what do I need to do um, with how to run a hospitality venue, uh, then, um, you know, JJ has been fantastic at all that. So all of them have really helped, um, you know, if I need contacts. So, you know, I, 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 I listened to your article with Grant, um, and, um, and jazz last week, yeah, jazz last week. Um, you know, but I'd say to Guy, you know, or Steve, you can put me in top touch with Grant because I need to find out how do I get cold chain beer across Australia. Um, <laughs> and you know, you'd phone up, and Grant would be very happy and receptive uh, to have a chat. And I think you know, being able to have a surname called Jeffers has opened up many doors with with, with people sort of willing to help and share with us. Um, and, and so that's just been the, the, the really great thing. And then Stomping Ground were our first wholesale account. So I had high hopes that we would get our beer into the local, being sort of beer agnostic or brand agnostic. Uh, I thought I had Buckley's chance, to be honest, of getting our beer into Stomping Ground. Um, but uh, I think Guy phoned me up and said, we decided to put your beer into all our venues at the time they had 10 or three and a half open and they just opened uh, the one at South Bank. And, uh, you know, fantastic for us. That meant that we had four great venues straight off the bat. Um, and, you know, so from that side, you know, they've been brilliant at um, helping to promote us within the, uh, the broader beer community and their staff have been great. I, I, I still get phone calls from, uh, venues or bottle shops saying oh, the, the Cicerones at uh, Stomping Ground really recommended your pale ale, so can I have some, please? And I don't have to drop off a sample. I don't have to do anything um, because their team are helping sell as well. Their sales reps on the road, if, you know, will help 
mention Nabir. So we're not connected in any way, shape or form, uh, apart from they've been outstandingly helpful in getting us uh, going. And, um, you know, they've, they've learned plenty of hard tricks over the years. So, But it's a smart... I, I would have thought that it, it would be... If you're going to have a guest tap, having a gluten-free beer on that guest tap is a fairly smart move, particularly when it's a, a good quality one, um, because it, it's a little bit like I, I always advise restaurants or bars that I'm working in. Yeah, sure, beer craft, beer venue, but you still want to have you know, maybe a 4X gold under the counter. Don't put it on the beer list, but someone will come in, and if they really want a 4X gold, they'll ask for it. But yeah. if you've got that one person who will only drink that one thing... Um, they will drag their five craft beer drinking mates out if you don't have it. And I almost would have thought that there'd be the same dynamic at play with a gluten-free beer, that if you've got a gluten-free option, um, particularly if it's a beer, then that's more likely to attract the six people um, who you might otherwise lose if you didn't. I might have to put you under my sales team, Matt, because I mean that, that's exactly right. So, gl- gluten-free people—I mean, the, the the evidence is showing that gluten-free people decide where where we're going out. Because some will say, "Let's go out," and you say, "Right, well, I can go here, uh, either for food or, you know, in this case, beer." So, we we uh, initially just really put uh, our cans in the fridge. Um, you know, we're not trying to. Uh, fight for beer taps and we've got issues around how do we manage uh, cross-contamination of our beer with beer that have been in the past. So generally our success has been um, putting beer in the fridge, but we tell all the venues, make sure you let people know you've got a gluten-free beer. Uh, So put it up on the wall, put it up on your boards because gluten-free people generally are used to being told there's no beer. So often they just won't ask. Um, and I think that's been the success. You know, Bad Shepherd carry us. Uh, Bright Brewery were an early uh, fantastic supporter. We're now in Capital and Canberra, Newstead in Queensland, hopefully uh, up into far north Queensland soon. Um, and, you know, Jade at the Weedy carries us. Uh, she started off with our pale ale. Now she, then she moved on to our pale ale and our IPA cans. Uh, and last week, uh, we were very excited to, she took a, a keg of uh, our Ollie's Hoppy Brown, and that's on tap over there. Um, We've got a parallel on tap at a venue called the Duke of Brunswick in Adelaide uh, and Bucket Boys in Sydney in their new uh, venue at Darling Square put on 20 taps and uh, Jonathan asked whether we could give him some kegs of our parallel to put on there. So, you know, we're starting to see, we never thought, I never thought we'd get many um, taps, to be honest, but, um, you know, we're starting to see that grow more and more and we know, I certainly know from venues in the US uh, where they have a gluten-free tap, it works extremely well. You know, particularly if you've got, say, 20 taps, then having one that's gluten-free because it will attract uh, that community and they will um, drink it. Plus, you know, we find that um, uh, when the local put on our porter, you know, they just put it on as a porter made out of millet buckwheat and rice and uh, it sold, I think, very well. Um, and Jade will do our Ollie's Hobby Brown as uh, beer made out of millet buckwheat and rice and I'm sure there'll be plenty of um, craft beer people that will... Uh, want to try it and and compare. Now, the, the one thing I do need to probably circle back and ask is because we did talk about the expense of the grains that in a small, you know, scale industry, it's an even smaller scale ingredient. How do you guys go uh, price wise compared to some some of the uh, um, traditional malt uh, varieties? 
So the way the way I describe it to people is, we're, our malts are about six times the price of barley. So we paid pretty much, at, you know, landed about six thousand dollars a ton. Um, so thank God that's only part of the cost of the bill <laughs> of the beer. Otherwise, we'd be in trouble. But certainly, you know, our beer is expensive compared to um, barley beers. You know, we do uh, sixteen cans to a um, carton. Um, Copy Bolter there, and uh, thought if it was good enough for Bolter, then we'll have a go. Um, <laughs> Just about everyone does it, these days. Yeah, yeah, and it kept kept the price point uh, down, but we're still probably twenty five percent more expensive than say Bolter's Pale Ale or XPA. Um, so it's certainly not a cheap product, but gluten free people, you know, the, historically we get charged three dollars fifty or four dollars fifty for an extra gluten free pizza base or whatever it might be. So unfortunately, it's it's part of the gluten free uh, tax. Um, but we are a more expensive product, and hopefully as we get scale um, and we can help our maltster, she actually just put in a second uh, rotary kiln, so the price will go down. Hopefully the dollar will go back up again, and um, you know we can get you know better economies through the brew house, and um, you know we can help to make our product more affordable over time. But um, it's an expensive product, but we're not trying to brew to a price point. Uh, you know, I've been very clear. Well, AG was very clear with me, and I was very clear with him that you know we want to make a great product first and foremost, and the price will be what it needs to be. Um, and that hasn't, we don't think, deterred too many people so far. We certainly, you know, we know we're not going to be uh, affordable for everybody, but we uh, we're about trying to make a really good craft beer first and foremost. Excellent. Well, Richard, thank you very much for joining us on Beers of Conversation. Congratulations on Two Bays. Now, get, get a plug-in. Where can people find out if they do want to buy? Do you have an online store? Yeah, we have an online store. So if you go to www.twobays.beer, uh, we have an online store. We have a beer finder. And, um, you know, we'd love people to support our uh, local retail partners because they've taken a great leap of faith in supporting us. And you can sign up and get first access to when we do limited releases uh, online as well so um, you know uh, you can follow us through both those mediums and we'll try and keep informed of uh, how we're growing terrific and, well, and thanks very much Matt for, for having me I mean it's been um, sure been a roller coaster and a whirlwind the last uh, seven months and we look forward to um, hopefully having a chat with you in a year's time where uh, you know we're much more established and um, can still talk positively about the um, <laughs> our success <laughs> Before the jaded years, yeah. Well, everybody, uh, everybody. I was listening to uh, Jane, I think, on your recent one, and I thought maybe a month off alcohol might uh, be good for all of us too. Yeah. Again, yeah, and I'd sort of commend everybody to go back and listen to that if you didn't, uh, or if you were scared to, as uh, I know some people are. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's certainly a wonderful industry, but it's an industry that has its challenges in in, in so many ways. But uh, hopefully, you negotiate all of those. Uh, with two bays so uh, thank you very much for joining us on beers of conversation and we look forward to getting down and uh, having a beer with you in store very in, in well in brewery very very soon cheers matt thank you and that was richard jeffers don't forget if you like what we do at radio brews news you can help us out in a number of ways you can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. 
Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at bruisenews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Bruise News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. Beer.